Welcome to Being Church, a weekly online conversation hosted by ELCA Coaching Ministry with hosts Jill Beverlin, Jason O'Neill, and Tammy Devine. This episode on Best Practices for Reentry, recorded May 27, 2020, features Reverend Dave Daubert, Zion Lutheran Church, Elgin, Illinois. I welcome my friend and colleague, the Reverend Richard Jorgensen, Director of Evangelical Mission of the Lower Susquehanna Synod, to share an additional word of welcome and centering with us. I'm very grateful to be with you this afternoon, and uh, Jill, always grateful for your ministry and just all that you bring to all of us in the ELCA, and grateful for all of you having making time this afternoon for conversation for us to be together, for us to be supportive of one another, for us to be in the presence of God together. Also very grateful that we have Dave here today as well, Dave Daubert. And uh, I'm not going to introduce you yet because I think we're going to do a centering moment, Jill. Um, And so what I would like to invite us to do Um, as we gather, is to pause for a moment and to simply allow ourselves to notice God and to notice God noticing us. And I will add, God always notices us, but let's notice God noticing us. And I will hope that as you notice God, that you will notice that God always sees you through eyes of love and compassion and mercy, that God is always creating space and opportunity for us to grow in God's grace and into God's image. And notice that you are beloved. And I invite you to own that you are beloved as we gather ourselves in prayer. Gracious Holy Spirit, you breathe life in us and among us and through us. You gather us across all time and space and distance, and you bind us together as one. Bless us in this time that as we breathe together and listen together, that you would bless our conversation and bless us and use this time for your purpose, your good purpose, here and now and always. Amen. And Jill, do you wish to say anything before I do the introduction? And in that case, I'm going to jump right into an introduction. I'm very honored, actually, to introduce to you the Reverend Dr. Dave Daubert. And by way of background, um, Dave has been a faithful servant of the church. Every time I say this, it sounds so bad, but you really have been a faithful servant of the church and of Christ for decades. And... uh, And the beauty of this is that Dave uh, 
Dave has served on churchwide staff. He has served on synodical staff. He has also served within the parish. And really, what I want us to notice also is that Dave also has served God in his household and in all four expressions of the church. Um, Dave has been following Christ. And one of the gifts that Dave brings is his call to us for renewal and a call actually for us to be renewed and a call for us to continually be adapting to what God is doing in our midst. And uh, so, Dave, I'm so grateful for your gifts. And uh, I'd say one last piece I will add is that Dave and I have collaborated for a good number of years. I remain grateful for that collaboration. I always learn from Dave. And um, Dave always brings a very generous spirit to every encounter. So um, welcome, Dave. Well, thank you, Richard. That was kind. Of, that was the nicest way you can say that I'm getting really old. Um, and I appreciate that. I'm going to share my screen here and um, begin. I want to make sure everybody can see this. I know we got um, excellent. Got about 20 minutes, as I understand it, to uh, work through this material, and then we'll be breaking into some small, smaller groups for discussion. So I'll kind of fly through some things, but I hope it's helpful. And mostly my goal isn't to tell you what to do as much as to get you thinking about things to be thinking about, <laughs> in a sense. And there's a lot to process in this. And especially since this is sponsored by coaching, I think the real goal of this is to facilitate ways of having deepening, exploring, visioning, fruitful conversation long-term in your site. So there's a lot of things that I could tell you, some of which I will, um, that you already know. Um, because if you've been paying attention to this, um, some things are obvious, like uh, social distancing, and you ought to have hand sanitizer. You don't need a webinar to tell you too much about that, although social distancing is much more complex than we'd like to think, and it will be harder when you actually have real people, including old people who feel like they need to see each other, and young people who feel like they need to run around and give people hugs, and so it gets complicated. So with that, I'm going to kind of dive into this, and we're going to talk about re-entry, and I already don't like the word re-entry. Um, it's a backwards word instead of a forwards word. You can never go back. You actually can't re-enter your space and go back to where it was in any way, shape, or form. And the new future won't look anything like the old past in a, in a number of ways. And I think we have to keep telling our people that. If you're a leader, one of the most helpful things you can do is keep reminding people visual cues or symbols or language about when we go back, it won't be the same. And don't make it too painful because um, you don't want them to be afraid of it, but make it, make it clear that, that we're not going to re-enter into the old church the way it was. Things will be different. Some of those will be different because we're adjusting to our context. Some of those will be different because we learned some things through this, and we may be supposed to have done these five or ten years ago and just never thought of them. Um, so some people are doing stuff that is really quite amazing. And when they look back at it, they could have done it two or three years ago. They just didn't have the impetus. So, so as we think about reentry, I want you to keep that forward look in mind. Uh, the second thing I want you to remember is it's actually pretty serious business here. Um, I won't go into these stories in detail, but on the bottom right corner, there's a story here in the Chicago area of a church whose pastor died. Um, they kind of covered it up for a while, and then they put a waiver of agreement in that all staff had to sign it if they got sick and died on the job that the church had no liability. And they were signing it willingly, but they couldn't come to work unless they signed it. 
Um, <laughs> that's one way one church handled this. Now, it's not an ELCA church, but it's a church. And uh, in the public eye, a church is a church is a church if you don't go to church. So there's a lot of stories out there. The other is a church in Arkansas, which was a disaster in a number of ways. And actually, that church did everything about right. It was early. They reported as soon as they found out there was an issue. They did all the tracing things and found all the stuff. Still over 40 people got sick and three people died. So you're not just saying, well, if we do everything right, it should be okay. Because here's a church that pretty much did and still had issues. And there's a church that did things wrong, and it's a public relations and a health disaster. So we're dealing with pretty serious stuff. Don't take it lightly and assume, as we all do at certain times, that I can probably do this and it'll be fine and this will be the exception to getting away with it. 99 out of 100 times it is and the other time it could be fatal. So you got to be kind of conscious about what you're doing. The other thing is, is don't view this as just a disaster. Um, I just want you to imagine for a minute with me that it's February 26th, it's Ash Wednesday, and you're going to make an announcement at Ash Wednesday announcements. We've decided that for the sake of the mission of the church, we're going to cancel Easter services in person. We're only going to go online. Now, that would have been met with... uh, Ha, 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 ha. How funny it is that you're doing that. That's a great, great joke, Pastor, or great joke, church council leaders, or whoever role you're in. But the truth is, that's what we basically did because we had to. And the odd thing is, all kinds of statistics and information showing that the reality is that more people heard a sermon on Easter this year than any other year in the history of the world. And the reason was we had to cancel and had to go online, and the media was doing a wonderful job of promoting. It wasn't every news story was, what are churches going to do for Easter? What are churches going to do for Easter? So we had incredible social capital around this issue. And as a result of that, people were curious, and people who would never have gone to church on Easter um, tuned into Easter worship, and more people heard the Easter message proclaimed on Easter than any other year in the history of the planet. And that's pretty much an undeniable um, fact. So... There's been a lot of opportunity in this because crisis and opportunity kind of match. So one of the things I want to say right off the bat, how amazed I have been at how resilient um, and how imaginative people have been. Um, For the most part, especially getting through Easter, most pastors and church council and other leaders stock went up because people who didn't know how to do anything figured out that if you just point your computer in the right direction and push that little live button on Facebook, that it actually goes live. And uh, so getting online wasn't as hard as people thought, but a lot of people don't know um, how hard or not hard it is. So most congregations were very impressed that you figured out how to go online. Um, It was accessible and it worked because the technology inside of the social media platforms semi takes care of a good chunk of it, at least at a beginner level by yourself. And a lot of folks um, who probably, if we're honest, were treading water and kind of stagnant, got re-engaged. It's like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do about Easter? And suddenly they got creative and they figured a whole bunch of stuff out. So I think people have found a lot of things in this that are worth um, celebrating in terms of resilience and imagination and vitality and things that in some cases they had forgotten or at least had um, only half accessed. The other thing I want to say, though, and why a webinar like this and others are important, I actually think the easiest part is mostly behind us. You had a very sympathetic audience about however Easter went was going to be better than we expected. (laughs) I'm not making light of what we went through, but when you only have one option and there's not a lot of choices, there's not a lot to argue about either, is there? So I want to just say that those first few weeks are... Well, whatever anybody could do is better than nothing, so we're just going to say yes. And it was going to be celebrated. Nice job and go. But now we're going to go back to a much more complex reality. We're going to be confronted with choices. 
Um, there are well over 200 people on this. I can't see that, that bar right now on the thing, but you're all in different states. Your governors and your legislatures and your local health departments are all telling everybody on this webinar a variety of information. It doesn't all match. Um, neighboring churches that are in different denominations or not in denominations are making their own choices and doing things that will be very different than what you do, some of which will be lifted up and some are going to be much more complex. So as we think about all of these things now, people are going to have a lot more options. And depending on what news channel you watch, which option is preferred, uh, is starting to be more and more clear through media. And I want to say that the opportunity now for this to be um, – disastrous or difficult is is there because churches are one of the most complex places to come back to. Anytime you have a large group, it's really not church, you could go to a, a rock concert or anything, but anytime you have a large group where people are likely to speak loudly or sing or participate, even just a hooray at a football game, large groups with vocalization are rough spots whenever they're indoors. And this quote from Kevin Cavanaugh just talks about the fact that, and I'll just read the bottom, the combination of singing in close quarters and decreased ventilation is nothing short of a Petri dish or cell plate for viral growth. Just a reality that if you're going to go back into your sanctuary, um, it's one of the places that's likely because of gathered folks and the kind of things we do in a sanctuary to be one of the places that's most likely to cause problems. But people want to be there. And people are afraid to be there and all sorts of things in between. So I think the first principle to think about is just because you can doesn't mean you should. I think that's really important. Um, churches are going to get a lot of clearance in a lot of our states, especially um, where um, churches are viewed in a very strong, they have a right kind of a mindset. Um, churches will get permission to do things that other groups won't get permission to do because they're churches. Um, and other church, other groups won't get permission because it's not a good idea. <laughs> but churches will be viewed from exempt from good ideas because of constitutional rights. And that means there'll be people actually pushing for churches to do things that in other group would be maybe discouraged from doing. So I want to say one principle that I would operate by is if it's not a good idea, you probably shouldn't do it, <laughs> even if it's a permissible idea under the context. So you have to make your own decisions. And that's why every one of these congregational pieces and even regional and state and um, sub-regional things within states. Uh, Cairo, Illinois is very different than Chicago, Illinois, um, in all sorts of ways, are going to make this much more complicated. But you're going to get peer pressure now in a way that we've never got before because not every church is going to do the same thing. The other thing is I think we have to just constantly remind our folks People intuitively know this, but experience and intuition don't match always. But there's going to be an interim normal. That's what we're living into now, where there's a sustained period of something where we're not gathering. That will last another um, week or two in some places. It's already ended in some places, not very many. Um, but over the next month, three months, six months, a lot more people are going to start to gather in groups of uh, larger than 10, let's say 50, or whatever your state guidelines are. And so we're going to kind of be shifting out of that. But for a little while, we've been in this kind of interim normal and then this transition period. Eventually, there's going to be a new normal. I don't know what it looks like. Can't tell you that. Um, I can't tell you when it will arrive. Um, the arrival of things like vaccines or treatments and things will drastically change that. And we hear competing stories on that all the time. But I think the most important thing for people to just keep reminding is the past will not return. 
Uh, and that's more so true in something like this than most cases. Most everybody knows you can't go back, but most people have a longing in, in different parts of their lives for at least part of our life to, to restore. Um, there's not going to be a lot of restoration in this, particularly at the level that we would normally hope for. The other thing I want to just encourage people to remember is don't assume that because you can go back to physical that you should get rid of the online. That, that going backwards might mean losing ground on some really important steps that people have taken. So just keep constantly reminding people that the new normal doesn't look like the old normal, that the new normal is its own thing. And that's going to be some mix of reacting to the realities with which we deal with, but also hopefully some imaginative ways to engage the new. So maybe when we go back to normal and the new normal is actually forward to normal, that we're actually more effective than we were before at reaching people we hadn't reached and building community in ways we hadn't built community and so forth. So I think the number two thing I want to emphasize besides the difference between the now and the then or the before and after is that as leaders, just be ready for more conflict and tension. They're, they're, they're going to increase. I have people in my um, congregation who get Breitbart news and listen to Fox. That's their almost exclusive news source. I've got people in my congregation who are MSNBC addicts, and that's their... Now, those two worldviews are both present in a lot of our congregations. They're both getting very different information. They're not always that curious to listen and look across the lines to see what might make sense or whether others are hearing. They just draw lines. And they have very competing views, and, and I have people on my church council who are in both camps, if you're thinking about our media sourcing. So unlike Easter, when we were kind of in a reactive mode and there was some consensus, all right, that's just the way it is. Now that it's taking longer, um, people are getting a little frazzled. There's an editorial on the USA Today opinion page this week about someone who um, felt they're very progressive, very for staying the course on this, and now they're just running out of gas. <laughs> and they just said, I can't stay shut in my, in my apartment any longer. Um, I can't, I can't not do this. I'm trying to figure out how to, to do what I know I should do, but I can't do what I know I should do. And boy, that sounds a lot like Paul, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> um, people are getting stuck now. They're getting frazzled. Um, this th three week, four week, six week, 10 week, three months, six months, 10 months. And so between the options and people's just experiential tiredness, um, there's more and more will and want to go in so many directions. And it, the truth is, you know, we have two options sometimes. They both are proponents in our church or in media or in guidelines and different states, all kinds of things. And in some ways, they're mutually exclusive in some cases. If you like one, you're probably going to hate the other. If you think one's a good idea, you might find the other one to be life-threatening and dangerous. So just be conscious of this conflict. And anytime you foresee conflict coming, one thing you can do as a leader um, is help people to delve into it before it happens and prepare for it ahead of time to remind people that these discussions are not going to be as easy, that we're going to have to dig and listen and compromise and wait or move in ways that aren't just up to us, but as a community. And we want to do it wise and with guidance. We keep people praying about this routinely, keep people reflecting um, spiritually about this so that they're not just using so-and-so's best idea versus so-and-so's best idea and having a war. Uh, make sure that you keep the wisdom of God and a, a prayerful, spiritually grounded attitude at the center of this. And you can do this before you start fighting about how many chairs people should have between each person to just create an environment 
where there's a healthier kind of conflict and discussion as opposed to that reactionary unhealthy kind. The other thing as part of that because of conflict is that conflict is often at two levels experienced. One is the level of the head, the idea. The other is at the level of the heart, the, the care. And anytime you know that there's going to be a clash of ideas and decision-making, it's really important to be proactive about touching the heart of people ahead of time. And don't try to do post-operative image control by saying, man, people got really upset. We should go make sure they know they're loved. Do some extra work up front as you're thinking about this reentry discussion and having more and more of it um, to be talking to people, loving people. You can't touch the high touch, but, but actually right now the phone is one of the best tools you've got. Um, emails and texts are so convenient, but people are so inundated with um, those group things. When you call, people know it's a one-on-one -on -one and there's an actual conversation. So I really am encouraging people to, to use their telephones more again, even though it's a little out of vogue. It's the one thing that whether somebody is 17 years old and in high school or 77 years old and still remembers long distance and party lines, having a real conversation with a real person is still valued. Uh, it's also possible that some people will prefer the one-on-one -on, -one on, on something like a Zoom or um, Microsoft Teams, those platforms, FaceTime. But, but conversation is important. The other thing I'm encouraging, we're, we're setting up um, this week on our site now, an inventory on our congregation website of, of material that we think are helpful. Um, articles, checklists, things like that, so that members aren't just hearing from the council who read five different things, what the council decided, but they're also seeing the kinds of things the council's working on ahead of time so that there's a, a broader breadth of, of information. And because we're vetting our stuff, to be honest, um, we're trying to make sure that the stuff we put on our site is what we think is actually good information and consistent um, with, with good practices and safe practices and good sense of mission, um, things that are consistent with, say, the ELCA document that came out and so forth. But communicate often. Be as transparent as you can. And, and it, whenever possible, involve more people in setting up steps and standards. Here's two quick articles that I think are really interesting. One's called The Idiot's Guide to Reopening the Church by Kerry Newhoff. Um, it's eight things an idiot would do um, to open a church and botch it up. Um, it's written a little tongue-in-cheek, but every point is um, clear enough that it might be an easy way. I shared it with my church council. They really liked it. Um, and this other by a guy named Eric Palmer. So your church is opening up after COVID-19 closures. It won't be what you think you're looking for. And Eric Parker has a... Um, look at what worship might look like in a liturgical church. He's a Lutheran from Canada. And um, his discussion of that might be helpful for people to say, oh, I hadn't thought about that. Oh, I hadn't thought about that. Wow, that would be different. And to help people look at those things. The other thing to keep in mind is you actually get to hit the reset button. Um, this is very rare in a church where everybody stops pretty much everything, um, in at least the form it was happening, and is doing even what you did in almost every case in some new form in some way, and a lot of it has stopped. When you have this long a hiatus, one of the things I think you can really do, and I'd encourage you to do as leaders, is keep the conversation going. Now that we're going forward into new ministry, what are the things we should bring from our old ministry, and how should we do them differently for this new world? Are there things that we really haven't missed during this time, and we just kept doing because we always did that we should stop? And are there new things that we could do in order to bring things forward? 
As you do that, remember your identity. Um, your core purpose and principles don't change. Um, you're still a missional outpost for God. You're still carrying this sense of purpose um, to, to ground people in Christ, uh, to help them bless and reach out to the world. And at the same time, you might need to make adjustments in these. Um, if you've got core values or guiding principles, so I just put an example here. We work together to provide a safe environment for all who participate. might be a core, core principle or a core guiding principle during this time. And I put that together for a couple of reasons. We work together is important because you've probably seen so many cases now where somebody won't go into a store with a mask on or all the rest because I don't have to. Well, one of our core values or guiding principles in our church is we work together, that this is a communal decision. It's not a personal decision. So talking about those things ahead of time help you to establish those kind of ground rules when they happen. The other thing is your vision and priorities may change a little bit as a result, too. There may be a pandemic priority in terms of short-term. Well, what are we going to do about this? And there may be visioning changes. You may not have had any online reality at all and might envision a 30-year ministry being online in the future now. Um, so rethink and rediscuss what does our future church look like in two, three, four years when this is over, whatever over means, what do we see on the horizon? What is God calling us forth to? So don't just use this as a re-entry to fix and get back, but think about forward. In terms of the concrete things, which I'm sure many of you have seen, but maybe also the reason, remember the ELCA resources there, considerations for returning to in-person worship, um, is actually a good document. They did a really a solid job. I'm really pleased with the work that the churchwide organization did on this, and I think it's one of the best summaries that I've seen. Likewise, every synod has a resource site on some forth or another. Um, often, this is a Metro New York one, and you'll see in Metro New York, they've got some synodical resources as well as other things um, from churchwide and things that they're providing. So look at your synod's resource. And the other thing is, don't forget your insurance company. Um, this is a quote from the Presbytery of Transylvania. It's a PCUSA Presbyterian. It's in Kentucky. But this is really important. Their document says, we would advise you to contact your insurance carrier to check on any liability issues that may be involved. Just remember, if you vote on or publish any protocols, you must adhere to them. Ignoring them once you've adopted them is a surefire way to create liability on behalf of the church. So once you decide how you're going to do things, you actually have to do things how you decided. And insurance companies can help you with that. Um, I've got some places that I um, will send for documents that I've sent to Jason to put on the posting when this goes up for recording. Uh, we have Church Mutual Insurance, which is one of the partners for ELCA products. They've done a great job at providing resources and supporting this, and they do want churches to open, but open safely. They're not trying to stop you from opening. They're trying to stop you from doing something foolish. So look at insurance companies. Sometimes their advice is really helpful, uh, particularly if you have a company that isn't trying to just limit liability, but trying to help you do ministry. Uh, there's all these issues here. Um, if you want this, we're not going to spend time on this today. Um, but just know that I think I put masks with a question mark because there, you know, there was a guard shot in a store <laughs> in Detroit because somebody had to put a mask on. Um, so what, what happens if somebody comes in and won't wear a mask and you said they have to? What kind of things do you do with bullets and sanitizing? You can read this uh, kind of thing, but there are so many questions to be asked and so many things to work for. And, and that might be its own kind of a time for that. Last thing I'm going to say, be collegial. Um, in Elgin, Illinois, where I live and work, 
Um, the ELCA congregations, there are four ELCA congregations. We've all agreed that none of us will open for on-site worship until all of us open for on-site worship in some way or another, or at least to prove not, so that we're not pitting each other against, well, they're doing it at Christ the Lord. Why can't we do it at Zion or whatever? So um, working with neighboring parishes, and I would say ecumenically and interfaith-wise, if you're in an environment where you can do that, um, churches not opening and unopening and all this stuff, it's very confusing for people. If the church can stand more consistent and you can have more conversations across some of those lines, the better. Witness it is and the less tension you'll be creating for folks. So I'm going to stop there. And um, I've got these questions that might be for discussion when we go to our groups. And you can talk about other things and you'll have a coach person kind of facilitating. But I'm thinking about how it's impacted your ministry, how you are communicating. um, How are you helping people see what next looks like before it gets here? Uh, what resources do you have and what do you need? And is in-person worship even something you see doing well in the foreseeable future or not? And there's no presupposed answer to that. Um, but but those are some thoughts. So I'm going to leave that screen there, and I'm going to ask uh, Jill, Jason, to kind of help us shift to small group conversations for 20, 25 minutes. Okay. All right. So thank you so much, Dave, for all of this information. It couldn't be more timely. The trajectory of this virus and, of course, the recent demand from our president have surely pushed this topic to the forefront of most of our communities. There are really so many aspects to consider in the prospect of, and I know you don't like it, Dave, but reopening or visioning what um, our new reality is. So as we consider everything that um, Dave has offered, we're going to transition to our small group discussions and begin processing what we've heard and what's in our hearts. I want to remind you that you are invited to use this time to share, to listen, or to simply be. Know God is with you in these conversations. So, um, and Jason, maybe we'll have the opportunity to try to flash some of these questions into um, the, the small group rooms as they go. So two additional they can do if you want, just remember that you can just take, if you got your phone or something, just take a camera shot of your screen. You can you bring it very as, easily. Uh, at least one person in. in every group probably has their camera close enough on their phone. Just take a screenshot off your camera and you'll have them there. Excellent. Excellent. And don't so, feel limited by these questions. Just feel these are places to explore. Of course. Of course. And the abiding question that we always want our coaches to ask is how is it today with your soul? Um, unless we have that part sorted out, it's very difficult to, uh, for us to entertain these other things. Amen. Amen. Yes. So as we um, move into these groups, um, two additional housekeeping things. I will be opening um, the breakout rooms in a minute. You will have to likely click the join button in order to move there. I will bring us back a little before the hour, and I will send a five-minute warning before this happens. The second really important item is if you go to your room and you don't believe a coach has made it into the room with you and you would like a coach (laughs) to join you, um, or if you join, sometimes people drop off because of other commitments. If you've joined a room and um, you wish to be part of a larger group discussion, um, or if you have any questions or concerns, please click the ask for help button and um, I will join you and help you out the best I can. So God bless your conversations. And thank you again, Dave, for, uh, for first of all, collating all of this, 
And then presenting it is just such a great way that's very digestible for us. We can grab onto it, chew on it, and figure out what God is intending for us to do in our contexts. So with that, I'm opening the rooms. Welcome back, everyone. So a couple of things will happen at this point in our conversation. I invite you, while keeping the confidence of your um, small group partners, I would love to hear some themes that have surfaced. And in addition to that, I think that we have the capacity to um, maybe like raise a hand and ask, maybe in your conversation, some additional questions popped up and you might have some specific questions to ask our speaker. Um, and Dave, I hope that you're okay with me putting you on the spot like that. Um, so yeah, with that, I look forward to um, seeing the, the themes in the chat area. And Jason, can you see people's hands pop up? I don't have that capacity right now. I can do my best to scroll and try to look for that. Or we might just have people on mute. That might just be easier. Sure. We'll have people just clamoring to share typically. <laughs> right. Like right now there are 152 people and no one's unmuting to talk. This is y'all are Lutherans. I know you talk. Oh, all right. I I'm a bossy social worker along with being a deacon, so I'll unmute. This is Sue Best, and I'm a deacon in um, Portland, Oregon, and I had the great pleasure to have a conversation with Pastor Elizabeth Wilder from St. Paul. The one thing that we really need to do is self-care and self-compassion. I think we're all so busy, and we just hit the ground running. We have this. We're doing all these things, and I think it's really important that we pause to reflect upon the fact that we're all in a state of grief right now. We, we may all be very blessed in so many ways because we have roofs over our heads. We have a job that is meaningful, but a lot has changed and we can't continue to just keep going on and on and on without taking a break, without taking a pause, whether it's a day off, whether it's a week off. So I just really want to invite everyone to be reflective and to look at ways to take care of yourself. And Jill, I would add to that. This is Carol Schultz in San Diego. Uh, something that came forward in our conversation was that online is great for many things, but it's not very great for pastors getting that feedback, that sense of are they connecting in their worship? Uh, and and, and they're distant from their, their parishioners. So that pastoral heart isn't being cared for in the way that it normally would be either. And I think that adds to the burden that we're talking about that Sue mentioned. Okay, excellent. Thank you for helping us name that and name that truth um, that I would imagine um, is, is a truth for many of our, our leaders. And um, you know, that just leaves us with the, the coaching question is, you know, what can be done about that? What, what is a way to meet that need um, in a way that's helpful for our leaders? I would remind people too that online worship is tricky to get substitutes for because you've got space technology kind of weird things that you don't normally have when you just call in a neighboring pastor to be a supply pastor, maybe a retired pastor who's in the area or something. At the same time, it offers great opportunity because you can record ahead and uh, could do certain things and then just leave. If, if you coordinated properly, that there's ways to be your own substitute um, and plan some extra work in one spot, but then be gone for an extended period of time. Um, so don't 
don't assume we live stream every week, but don't assume that if you're using one method of online worship that you have to use the same one all the time, as long as you can get it to the same platform so people can see it. Um, you know, you can actually zoom to Facebook live. You can broadcast with a camera from Facebook live. So whether you're using Facebook live or not, you could go from zoom one week to Facebook live another um, and still be on Facebook live. So technology might be your friend at getting a break. If you learn how to use it for getting a break too, don't assume it's going to run your life. You can, you get some choices. Speaking of, in case in case people don't already know, Bishop Eaton is uh, in the process of recording a sermon for Trinity Sunday. I certainly plan on using that. I'll still be leading worship, but um, at least it's it's one less sermon to write. And I I hope many of my colleagues will be uh... right. And using that one, for example, also reminds people they're part of a larger church. That this isn't like your congregation. And uh, independent apostolic church down the street that's already got everybody in with no social distancing, that we're actually part of a bigger system. And it's a chance to introduce people to Bishop Eaton who may not have been introduced other ways. So this great social benefit to using some of those materials as a way of reminding people, which could impact mission support and a lot of other things. When people know about things, they tend to be more thankful for them and more supportive of them. Excellent point. Dave, I'm going to lift up a question that came in our chat section from um, someone who actually happens to be a friend of mine and lives in my synod. Um, Pastor Rich Block asks, how do we share worship with those members who do not have any technology and their only access to people is a phone? For technology challenge members, do conference calls or Zoom meetings work? Um, well, a, yes, they do. Um, um, that's a way to do it. One thing I would say is um, Facebook Live doesn't really have the capacity to do this unless you've already got a platform, um, which means they could get in. But um, there are a few things you can do for online. One is Zoom does allow for calls to come in. And um, so it might be that you offer multiple opportunities during the week. For example, you might offer worship on Facebook Live on Sunday and have a live stream and um, much more of a liturgical piece. You might actually decide you're going to have a phone service um, for a group of people on Thursday morning. And don't feel like you have to do it all in one shot because your folks are there. And so you could invite um, a small group of people to a conference call, and they could just call in and, and have oral worship. It would be like a radio, but they could still communicate. You could do liturgy. Um, you could mail out the service snail mail on Monday, so they all had it by Thursday, an actual printed copy, even if they don't have printers and stuff. The other thing is there is, if you're a larger church, it's not cheap or easy, there is a technology available where you can set your worship up on a phone link and people can actually call in on a landline and listen to the service on a recorded version on a landline. So you, they can't, they can't do it live at nine 30 if you do it at nine 30, but once you've recorded it, there are services where you can actually upload it and people can call in on a telephone and listen to a recording like a radio broadcast later. Wonderful. Dave, thank you again for all of these um, suggestions and I'm just seeing in the chat area and we will capture this and make this available as a resource document on our website. Jason has put our website where you can find these things um, in the chat area as well. And um, one of our colleagues mentioned that, again, Zoom does have a landline option. So if you would mail instructions to your church members that you know only have access to a landline, they can take advantage of Zoom by using that telephone line. At this point, oh, the, the time has just flown by. I appreciate each of you so much. Um, just very quickly, join us again next week. The um, CEO of Cortico, Pastor Jeff 
Simon will be with us Fantastic. talking about holistic um, resources that we have to help us get through this pandemic physically, emotionally, financially. Um, we're blessed to have him with us. Um, my friend Rich, I'm going to invite you to unmute again and help us wrap up and bring us a final blessing. Dave, we thank you. Our hearts are, are so grateful to you. I thank these coaches are amazing in the ELCA. You guys rock it. Um, I pray that God has blessed your conversations deeply. Rich, it's you. And uh, always grateful for the partnership we have in the gospel and grateful that God, who has begun a good work in us, continues to bring it to completion. And uh, I'm grateful for this season. As strange as it is, I believe, really, we're being blessed in so many ways. And whenever, when we read the book of Acts, whenever there is a threat against the church, it also becomes the opportunity for the gospel. And I would see this, by the way, as such a gift from God, in addition to the heartache and the pain. You know, notice our hearts are always large enough to hold all of these things. Um, so I thought I would have us hear one of the uh, songs of ascents. And then we would pray as we um, take our leave of one another. But from Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where will my help come? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The Lord will not let your foot be moved. The Lord watches over you and will not fall asleep. Behold, the Lord keeps watch over Israel and shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand, so that the sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. The Lord will keep you safe. The Lord shall watch over your going out and your coming in from this time forth forevermore. And invite us into prayer. Gracious Lord, continue now to watch over us. Bless us as we continue this day, this week, as we continue this season. Guide us as you will and bless us as you will. Sustain us as you will. And in all things, allow us to notice how you lead us into your future always and fulfill your good purpose among us. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And God bless you all.